Welcome to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a video slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo related topics. And ladies and gentlemen, we are back using our brand new Skype format. So we've lost the live format of the show. Blame Google, not us. Uh, we hope to get that up and running sometime in the future. We'll figure something out. Promise. Uh, but guys, we have some news to talk about. Not a lot of big news. It's been a slow couple of weeks. That's why we took last week off. We're back this week. Uh, and we have a topic. We haven't had a topic in a legit while. Uh, today is going to be our Splatoon 2 post-mortem. Uh, what we want to do is talk about what we thought about the game as a whole, how the game evolved over the course of its two-year development cycle, and uh, what we hope for the game going forward for Splatoon 3. Uh, aside from that, we have a bunch of little news topics to cover, but that doesn't mean they aren't good news topics. So without further ado, I would like to welcome my co-host of the show, Blues. How's it going, man? It's going good, thank you. Awesome. All right, so we got a story that I just I, I had to add this last minute because it pissed me off, man. So let's just jump into the power of news and start with this one, which I have titled EA and their shit. Uh, earlier today, an article came out that uh, it was an interview with the e uh, the the CEO of EA, Andrew Wilson, and he was explaining the lack of reasoning his. He was explaining the reasoning for the lack of support on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, and I want to call BS on it. But before I call BS on it, let's go ahead and listen to his quote. Uh, Anytime we're evaluating platform conversations, we're really looking at a couple of things. One, does the game really fit that platform in terms of the controls or the community ecosystem? Two, do we think the community playing on that platform would appreciate the game to go there or would they prefer to play it somewhere else? We have a lot of data that would suggest that a great many Switch owners also own a PS4 or an Xbox One or a PC and are very often choosing to play the games that we make on those platforms even though they have a Switch and they enjoy a lot of great content on the Switch. Okay, let us call BS right now. Mm. Dude, you walked into a shitstorm, Andrew Wilson, and I'm that storm. First off, Switch owners... Nintendo platform owners do not buy EA titles because you release stripped-down versions of mainline games. You release FIFA uh, every year, and every year the Switch version or whatever Nintendo version comes out, and you don't have the exact same content on the Switch version. And it's not because the system can't support the 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 the, the engines that you guys make, because you recently did an interview where you revealed that the Switch could handle... What is the name of their shitty-ass engine? Frostbite. Frostbite, the one that literally killed, like, uh, Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. So you really strip down versions of games that don't have the same content. So the upcoming version of FIFA uh, 20 is a legacy edition. That means it's not going to have, like, the career mode, uh, the, the, the story career mode that they have in the other games. It's going to have all the microtransactions, though. Bet you that. So you release shitty versions of games on the, on Nintendo platforms, and you expect people to eat that shit. And when they don't eat that shit, you say, well, you didn't like that shit sandwich, so I'm not going to put any more shit on the table. Keep your shit to yourself. This story got me hot because this is literally the epitome of why EA is the scummiest company in the business. We're not going to support a platform 
because they won't play it on that platform. But we won't play it on this platform because you're not making the game good enough. You're you're taking features out that people want on your biggest games. FIFA is your largest selling game in your library. If you released a one-for-one version on the Nintendo Switch with reduced graphics, you would improve sales. It's not about how good the game looks. It's about having the same features. We already know that when we buy multi-platform games on the Nintendo Switch, we're getting a somewhat pared-down version of that title. That has been true for Doom, Wolfenstein, uh, Skyrim. They don't look as good as the major console versions, the other major console versions. But we make those purchases because the games are pretty much one for one. You tell lies and you expect us to eat that shit. Andrew Wilson, you fucked up. Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm real hot on this topic. Any thoughts, man? Um, I, I like and I dislike how you have told EA how to fix their, how to increase their sales. You said if EA wants more sales, they would make a full game for the Switch. But what if we just, like, don't give EA sales, and so they have to make good games that people want to play to get sales? Like, people need to vote with their wallets to buy games from a company that will nickel and dime you. Either either you complain about getting nickeled and dimed when you've spent 60 bucks on a product, EA has made their money, or you don't spend that money at all. EA's like, well, why aren't people buying our stuff? And they have to, they actually have to reevaluate what they're doing. Like, I I think it's it's cruddy me. Um, but this is such a bullshit reason. I I have to say, um, because not only is it, you know, games play best on Switch. Games play best portable. I feel like FIFA, a fully fledged FIFA experience with like you know a bit of a graphical downgrade, people would love it. It's it's a matter of features. If they don't have the features that they want to play when they play FIFA, they're not going to get it then. It's exactly like you were saying. Um, but I think if it was had all the features and was portable, you'd have just that bigger base, that what, bigger player base on the Switch. What has to happen here, I, I agree with you with the voting for, with your wallet. The problem is, is that people are voting with their wallets in the wrong way. Yes. The only way for EA to learn anything is for people to just outright stop buying EA games, mm-hmm. period, on any platform, PC, Xbox, PS4, the and whatever platforms. Yep. And like, they made a complete, like, their money back on Anthem, even though people boycotted the microtransactions, stopped playing to make a statement. They don't care. They've made their money back. Yeah, you, you have, have to this. not buy ban- Anthem at all. Period. Exactly. And, and, and it's just reasoning like this that just, it's so upsetting. Like, I have an Xbox. I have a PS4. I have a Nintendo Switch. Which one am I podcasting about? The Switch, the Nintendo console, because it is my favorite platform of the three. Now, granted, there are some experiences I expect to get on my PS4, which is why I have a PS4. There are some experiences, not anymore, but there used to be experiences that I could get only on my Xbox. And that's why I had an Xbox. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's a few. There's, there's like, it, it gets getting less and less as yeah. the, you know, the console life extends. But sure. there are titles that I buy specifically for each platform mm-hmm. because of exclusivity, not because of console preference. 
and you are a third-party company. You have no exclusivity to speak of. So when you tell me that I'm not playing the game on this console because I'm going to play it on this console, that makes me not want to play it on that console. First off, it makes me not want to buy your games. I haven't bought an EA game since Madden 2008. Just throwing that out there. They got the UFC game I bought. (laughs) I have no clue. I think Ty the Tasmanian Tiger 3. You know, they they got the license to make UFC games, and I am a huge fan of the UFC. I would love to play a UFC game. I'm not gonna because I'm not gonna give EA a dime because I'm not gonna get into their BS pay-to-win microtransactions, surprise mechanics, as they like to call them. That uh, I'm, was not, I'm, not, else. I'm not jumping into that ecosystem. No, no, mm. you guys are scum. You, Andrew Wilson, are scum. I hope you get railed for this. I hope I'm not the only person that takes you to task. I hope the industry as a whole takes you to task. But they won't. They won't. Mm-hmm. But I'm here, and I hope you hear me. I hope you hear me. You're a douchebag. Um, and also, you know, you make a good point with the UFC uh, game, you know. There's no real good way to play, you know, UFC, uh, you know, without supporting EA. Um, but I'd like to just point out, if you if you are a FIFA fan and you cannot live without your FIFA, try, just try Pro Evolution Soccer. They don't have a lot of, you know, the bigger names for the teams, but it's a good game. Pro Evolution Soccer is damn good. I've heard good things about that one, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you just want that soccer game fix, go for it. Or, you know, Mario Strikers. That's also <laughs> a good soccer game. No, I'll be, oh. hey, if Nintendo makes a Mario Strikers game, I'm about it. Uh all they the have to games. do, like, I, the things that they have to do don't seem hard. Develop, developing games with the Switch in mind shouldn't be, in, like, the Switch shouldn't be an afterthought. Like, hire, th- hire, outsource the game. Have them, give them 90% of the development tools. And let them come up with a solution. Like, all you really have to do is just down-res the graphics so that they they fit better on the Switch reduce the textures we don't need the textures like hyper realistic games like 1080p is 1080p like if you make a game look 90 percent good 90 percent good but you keep all the features we're not sitting here railing against you i'm not sitting here outraging well here's the crummy part fifa on switch already just looks like crap it already looks bad mm-hmm. like on every other console it looks great but on switch it looks god awful and then there's the missing features. They, they they put no effort into the Switch version. They ask us to eat shit and then get mad when we don't like the shit sandwich. Like, I, I, that the same analogy that I did earlier. Like, and you make a very good point with, like, expect to make a game for the Switch. Uh, you know, maybe in 2017 when the Switch was still, you know, brand new, maybe you shouldn't have expected to maybe make a Switch port of X game. But when you're developing a new game due out in 2019, 2020... Uh, and it started development, you know, post-Switch boom, keep in mind, hey, you know, a lot of people are buying games on Switch, and I know it's kind of tough if we go back and do Switch later, if we start with the Switch in mind, it, the process is a whole lot smoother. Well, and in a little bit, we're going to talk about the Nintendo Switch's sales figures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the beginning... It was easy to get when EA was like, we don't necessarily trust Nintendo right now. And that that is, look, as much as I hate that line of thinking, it's understandable. Like, the Wii U, I wouldn't yeah. support it. Yeah, 
Like, I get it. After the Wii U, the like Nintendo platform, any Nintendo platform going forward, you have to... Yeah, it was 100% a risk. But we're looking at the thing where the thing is an unmitigated success. Mm-hmm. It's outsold the PS4 in Japan. Like That's not like globally, just exclusively in Japan, the Nintendo Switch has outsold the PS4. We're gonna sh- we're gonna sh- we're gonna run through the numbers later. You're gonna see that the Switch now has a big enough install base that you should be actively pursuing development. Uh, companies like Square Enix have taken like a giant turn for the better. And, tra- and remember, this is a company that has a sordid history with Nintendo. Nintendo and Square have historically not gotten along for a long time. And look at the amount of support that Square has uh, put on the Switch for exclusive games. Only. Uh, Oninaki is coming out multi-platform. Octopath Traveler, exclusive to the Switch, was well, coming to PC later this year. But yeah, still, launch title, you know, launch year on the Switch. EA, you have made bad mistakes in the past. You have a very bad reputation. You are solidifying that reputation with statements like this. And the, the, the thing that gets me is, like, the question that gave... Like, the reason he answered this question was... They asked him if The Sims was coming to the Switch. The Sims. Like, a game that literally doesn't look great on any platform. It's margin- It looks okay. But it's a big multiplayer, you know, second life experience. Shouldn't be too hard to get on the Switch. And he's like, yeah, we... Like, that answer is basically... The answer he gave is basically saying, yeah, we're going to do every other platform. Not the Switch. Whatever. It's neither here nor there. I, I want to get off this topic. It, it got me all riled up. Uh, anyhow, yeah. Any guys, let us know what your thoughts are about this EA debacle in the comments. Uh, I definitely want to know what you have to say. But with that, we are going to move on to our next news article, and this one, this one has me somewhat confused. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, like I, I am absolutely confused as, as the reason why this is happening. So, Ubisoft announced a new Rabbids game today, which. Sounds awesome. It's exclusive to the Nintendo Switch, which is more awesome, but it may also be exclusive to China. Oh. Which is weird. So, a brand new game uh, coming out, <laughs> and it was shown at the China at China Joy. I guess that's a uh, a video game convention of some sort. Uh, and the game has a lot of inspiration from Journey Journey to the West. If you guys don't know what Journey to the West is, it is the actual inspiration for uh, anime and manga series like Dragon Ball and Sayuki. Uh, there is a trailer for the game, and it looks like uh, the franchise is going back to its party roots with a local multiplayer game. And it looks like a lot of fun. The graphics are on par with what we saw in the Mario vs. Rabbids Kingdom Battle game. This game looks really dope, and... I don't understand if this is going to be exclusive to the Chinese market. Why would it be exclusive to the Chinese market, especially when it's a Nintendo Switch exclusive? Now, granted, Nintendo Switch is a uh, region-free console. We could import this game and play it if the game contains an English setting. Uh, But it is a party game, so it might be easier to get into. I'm just kind of bummed. If this is an exclusive... If this is a region-specific exclusive game, I'm going to be bummed because after Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle, I'm kind of high on Rabbids again. And I'm, I might be willing to jump back into this franchise, especially a party game version of the franchise, because 
man, like, I feel like Mario Party, uh, Super Mario Party didn't scratch the itch that people wanted for a party game. So I remember the Raven Rabbids games were actually kind of fun on the Wii. Be nice to get into it on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, any thoughts on this particular story? Because this was a weird one. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, as as for um why it could potentially be Chinese exclusive, um I think you know potentially just because the Chinese game market is newer to consoles and consoles games. Um, I believe there was there was the embargo that was lifted two years ago now. I believe. Um, and so, you know, you couldn't sell a Nintendo Switch, you couldn't sell a Wii U, you couldn't sell these systems and these games uh, for a while in China. And so, uh, you know, obviously there's mobile games and things on phones, um, but, you know, getting an install base for the Chinese market for Nintendo Switch, for Ubisoft games, for whatever have you, is, is kind of a priority for uh, companies right now, you know, uh, Getting this market that has been untapped for quite some time to be to be full, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, but it still doesn't make sense to make it exclusive. Just yeah. Um, well, to a degree, I I know that recently Nintendo announced that they had partnered with a Chinese company. I think it was the parent company of Tencent to uh, make and distribute uh, switches in the Chinese market, uh, mainland China, not Hong Kong. So mm-hmm. that. Could be Nintendo asking for a favor. Hey, we're entering this market. We've got a good partner to enter the market with for once. Do us a solid. Give us a region-specific game that could cater to the Chinese audience. Which, obviously, the game having uh, the uh, Journey to the West reference, that's Chinese uh, mythology, Chinese Mm -hmm. uh, lore. That would really appeal to them. I mean, it actually kind of appeals to a lot of other Asian cultures as well. Like, Japan has taken a lot of influence from Journey to the West. Neither here nor there. Um, So, you think about, like, Nintendo maybe asking Ubisoft to do a solid. That could potentially be what it is. It's just weird. And I'm not going to lie. I'm super intrigued by this game, and I may have to import it. If if it is region exclusive like that, I may have to uh, import it. Hopefully, you know, Ubisoft sees, like, the bigger picture. Like, rabbits are rabbits are in a good place again. It, you can kind of put them back out there. I think people... I think you built up enough goodwill with Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle that you could get away with dropping a more traditional Rabbids game. I mean, I, I kind of want another Rabbids Go Home, because that was cool. Uh, I played Rayman Raving Rabbids 1-2. I'm not sure if there's a third between uh uh go home but go home was kind of cool i like to go home yeah then, and, and they, I, then they lost me what's nice about this is, is it clearly is using the same graphics engine from the uh mario from mario rabbit's kinabout like it looks nice mm-hmm. and the and the mini games actually look fun the mini games that they are showing like there's like a a bumper cars one yeah it looks like a lot of fun where they're like pushing each other into like lava Mm-hmm. Even, like, some of the larger rabbits look like they came straight out of Kingdom Battle. Kingdom Battle, yeah. Uh, I look, the minigames look kind of seamsy to me. Like, they all look like they're kind of just, like, bumper cars, mm-hmm. but, like, a few things changed. We haven't seen, we've seen, like, what, three minigames in this? But they all look kind of seamsy to me, at least what I, what I could see. But, uh, because so, there's, yeah, there's, like... The bumper cars... There's one they're, like, chasing each other around. There's, like, well, a Simon to, Says... Like, beating up like. a tree... To get like um, the apples, but that are shaped like rabbits down mm-hmm. off the tree. 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It looks like to me, this looks like it could be a lot of fun. You know, I especially like especially like in a local multiplayer setting, mm-hmm. this could be a fun game. So it's, I mean, I'm gonna keep an eye on this story because I am intrigued as to whether mm-hmm. or not this is exclusive or not. Well, speed. it's not region locked. We'll see if you yeah. really want this. <laughs> you can get the Chinese True. version. But like, I don't want to have to try to learn the rules because I don't have anybody in my life that could translate Chinese, and I don't want to sit there with Google Translate on my phone like. Eh. I was about to say, if Google Translate in your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I want to get into that. Hopefully, you know, if they do, I hope they have an English setting. But it is what it is. All right. So aside from all the weird stuff, let us move into some more serious news. <sighs> so this one kind of bums me out. We have another Nintendo employee. Uh, and then the Nintendo Treehouse employee leaving the Treehouse. Uh, and this one is not getting promoted to a higher position like Samantha Robertson was, uh, like we reported. I guess it's been three weeks now. Uh, Eric Smith. Eric Smith uh, is leaving Nintendo Treehouse. He's been there for 10 years. If you guys don't know who Eric Smith is, he is the lead localizer of the Splatoon franchise. Uh, Splatoon lives on its, like, dialogue, especially its translated dialogue. This man has literally written every word spoken by Callie and Marie and Perla Marina. Think about that. One man has been in charge of the pop idols that we all love so much within this game. Going forward, if Callie and Marie and Perla Marina return, they will not be written by the same person. They will have a different voice. Hopefully, whoever takes the reins of this of this role will maintain, you know, what we love about these characters, but it is feasible that these characters will uh, physically, they will sound differently as far as what we read on the screen is concerned. I mean, two Splatoon games, and these are some of my favorite Nintendo franchise games as of now, and they have a very distinct uh, dialogue to them. So him leaving uh, the franchise, that kind of sucks. Aside from that, he's also worked on the Paper Mario franchise, uh, he uh, did some stuff for Super Mario Maker 2, uh, Palutena's Guidance, and Smash Brothers. Uh, he's worked on Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon and Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So he has a very important role, especially uh, for first-party Nintendo games, which do need to be localized uh, for you know a U.S. audience because some things don't exactly translate well. Especially, And I feel like the, the best place to see the work, the translation work, was Splatoon because Japanese pop culture is not the same as American pop culture or Western pop culture. They are different significantly. There are things that land there that do not land here. So it's important that he found a voice for this game. And it's and that's like 90% of the appeal of Splatoon is like the pop status of the game. Like it is contemporary. It feels fresh. It feels new. And that a lot of that comes from the dialogue and the translation. And the other part of that comes from the, the visuals that the game has. But it's a meshing of these two things that really make the game appeal to a younger, you know, more fresh audience. Uh, thoughts, man? Um, that's BS. Um, Splatoon absolutely does not live off of its dialogue. I skip the news every single time it comes on. Just dialogue be gone. Sheldon be gone. I, I, no. Okay, um, no, 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 but the lore of Splatoon comes from its dialogue, and no, we all know I, I that agree. Splatoon's yeah. lore is the greatest thing about the game. 
Um, no, but I like the very contemporary, trendy world that they live in. And I think Eric Smith did a lot, very good job with, with word choice for little bits that I did read. Um, so, you know, it's very easy to just, you know, say what would have been said in these dialogue boxes. But uh, he, he did a great job of using specific word choice, these words um, that felt much more contemporary. Like, you know, I'm not sure if it was even his his work but you know to say fresh instead of cool it's it would have been so easy just to say that's so cool no say that's so fresh uh stuff like that you know uh to say sizzle to say um um uh stoked rad you know uh, uh all of i don't know if you ever did captain cuttlefish captain cuttlefish has some hilarious dialogue um and so uh it, he he's very good at word choice and i think not only that, writing it good, fun, and getting getting the the pop culture to translate as best he can. Uh, he did a very good job with. Um, I think as far as if Callie, Marie, Pearl, and Marina re do return uh, in a future game and or uh, Splatoon 3 or whatever, um, I think they should keep the characters mostly intact since they're, they're already, you know, established to have these kinds of, uh, you know, how they talk. And I think... In the future, most idols should sort of follow the pattern. Um, but let's say, you know, uh, we get a whole new game. Let's say, let's play Splatoon, you know, came out before Eric Smith, or, yeah, after Eric Smith uh, had left Nintendo, we might see the entire pop idols talk, you know, sterile, you know, just <laughs> monotone. Like, I think it's very, very possible that, but I think with Splatoon specifically, he set the groundwork, and whoever takes over from the future just needs to follow suit. And sure. I think, mm. yeah, hundred percent agree. And you know, going forward, if Splatoon three follows suit like with Splatoon two, dude, we will have new pop idols. Uh, so it's more of a clean slate. But uh, it doesn't seem like Cali Marie and Pearl Marina are going anywhere. So they are, they they will seem to have they will probably have a presence. Uh, particularly in the story mode of Splatoon 3. Uh, at least that's what I hope for, similar to how they did with this game. Especially, you know, we're going to talk about this in the topic. But yeah, happy about Eric Smith, uh, his contributions to, to Nintendo. It's going to be sad to see him go. And he's a big presence at the Treehouse Live events. Uh, mm -hmm. he's, you always see him yeah, at Treehouse events. So it is going to be weird going forward. And it makes you wonder... Uh, who's going to be picking up these positions at the Treehouse going forward? Because he's the guy I probably would have pegged to take Samantha Robertson's mm -hmm. previous position. He always seemed like the number two guy at Treehouse with her being number one. So who goes to her position now and who's going to fill his shoes? We are in a era of transition for Nintendo Treehouse. And hopefully this is a good thing. Uh, we don't, you know, sometimes these things work out for the best. Sometimes they don't. Uh, either way, it's going to be an interesting time going forward. So mm -hmm. we wish Eric Smith the best of luck going forward. Thank you for all the great things you you did uh, for Nintendo and for us, the Splatoon community. Because, yeah, your words really made this game better. Moving on to our next story. The Smash 4.0 update dropped yesterday, and uh, it dropped with a cool... 22-minute live stream from Masahiro Sakurai, uh, where he showcased Hero from Dragon Quest. All versions of Hero, all four versions, 
he he showed us the mechanics of the character and then we got all the content that's coming out for smash ultimate which is a lot of different changes that got made to the game uh first off let's start with hero i didn't get a chance to play with hero yet because i was trying to learn the matchup against it so i haven't Mm -hmm. utilized the character but i did play against it what are your thoughts on the character um so i did play as hero um he he's like the worst sword of any sword user (laughs) um so, so it's a powerful sword. It's got, you know, similar range to Robin's Levin sword, which is, like, the shortest range sword, I think, of most sword fighters, if not all. Um, so I'm not sure who has the longer sword between Robin and, and Hero, but they're both very short swords with very low range. Um, and, and he doesn't have the best sort of frame data. His, his attacks, you know, they're, they come out very slow. Um, they're... Uh, uh, they have a bit of end lag depending on the move and that's very disheartening um but i think that's the main balance because his his attacks hurt he swings that sword you're gonna go flying uh no matter what attack really is so it's like a neutral air or a smash attack you're probably gonna go flying um which is it's satisfying to hit someone with that sword Um, oh i was playing his pichu and he was smacking me back mm mm-hmm um, as far as the specials, I think that's where people are looking at, at Hero and being like, that is not okay. Yeah, um, he seems like a little OP, uh, especially that one move where he just blows, like, the entire field up. Uh, is that magic burst? Yeah. It when, consumes yeah, all of his magic, though. So if does. you You can, like, avoid it, because it, it's very long startup, and it's a, assuming you have a good distance away. Um, it's a long startup. It's punishable if you survive. You can shield it. Um, and and oh yeah, if you just throw him off, he can't recover because he has no magic after that. True, but like if you just somehow get caught by it, that's it. That's it for you. I didn't like. Ah, I don't know. I like how visually some of his moves look though. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, like like uh, his uh. I can't remember all the names of his moves. I I hate using Zoom, but Zoom is just like oh, it's it's nothing like special visually, but like you're like yeah, this is Dragon Quest. I just I just fast traveled, <laughs> like because Zoom is the is the sort of teleport fast travel spell you use. It has a fun little sound effect, and and he can do that, and it's great. So aside from Hero, like I think it's a I think Hero was a good addition to the game. He's not a character that. I'm super interested in just because I haven't historically been the biggest Dragon Quest fan, only having played like two or three games in the franchise. Um, but there were a lot of additions. Uh, he got mm-hmm. a total of eight songs dropped for mm-hmm. for uh, for his character. Uh, his stage his stages don't seem that different from one another, so I thought those felt a little uninspired because um, they felt very similar. It's like one is just like you just see the area the whole time. The other stage is kind of floating about. I was like, that's kind of lame, but it is what it is. Uh, you I, got I to think s- it's very pretty. Well, yeah, but it reminds me of uh, the Pokemon stage. It reminds me of... Oh, um, um, Prism Tower? Yeah, it reminds me of Prism Tower. It also reminds me of... Uh, it reminds me a lot of... One of the, one of the Zelda Tower. stages. Yeah, uh, a lot, yeah. Skyloft, Umber Clock Tower. No. Any any stage that kind of floats about like that, where so, you kind so of see everything. The way I see it, it's it's more like Umber Clock Tower. Um, and it's just very beautiful. So I see it more like Umber Clock Tower because the platforms that come in and out, 
uh, are operate very similar to to Umber Clock Tower's platforms that would go in and out. But I think it, I like it better than Umber Clock Tower because the camera always would shift for the platforms uh, in in Umber Clock Tower. But I didn't see that as much here, as well as um, the the mimics. Uh, obviously, you'd have to be playing with items and and hazards on for chests and mimics to work. But I think it's nice enough if you are playing with those rules uh to to have some fun with it it's got it got some nice twist and it has a nice dragon quest sound effect when you open a chest hmm. i thought it was cool it's very yeah, pretty for sure i mean it looks nice it just it just didn't feel like it, i i found it to be like a very unimportant stage in the grand scheme of things i don't even think it's going to be like one that you see a lot in the tournament scene it, it just it is it's there well will it be legal is also a question i think it could be it oh yeah we'll have to see I mean, it's not like we don't have uh, tournament legal stages that do have platforms that drop in and out. Uh, the stupid Animal Crossing stage that everybody plays on all Town the time. Town City. Town City, yeah. Delfino was legal for a while, I think, in Smash 4. Yeah, and they removed it. Yeah, for a reason. Probably the same reason here. Gonna be honest. Delfino was such a great Pikachu stage. All too great, yeah. Anyhow, uh, aside from that, the other additions to Smash 4 were the following. These characters were added to the Spirit Shop. Uh, slime, Drackey, Great uh, Saber Cub, Golem, Liquid Metal Slime, Se- excuse me, excuse me, Setacea, and the Heroes Comrades. Uh, on the online front, the tournament mode, Attorney, as they're calling it, has been added. Uh, you now have a spectate mode where you can now kind of bet... Uh, who wins the match and you get in-game coins for that that you can exchange in the shop uh and uh, videos no no you don't get coins you get points which are separate from the gold you get in using the shop and the points right. can be used in a separate shop yes you're right you're 100 <laughs> uh and now videos cannot be played repeatedly in shared content in addition a yeah will be added automatically whenever you save posted content uh aside from that there are sir uh there were the amiibo I'm sorry, the Me Fighter costumes that got added. So if you like doing that with your with your Me Fighters, you have that. The final Smash Meter. Oh, I love this change. I love it too. Because mm-hmm. there's no excuse to make the final Smash Meter tournament legal going forward. It is now a timed uh, mechanic. So you can you have 20 seconds to use the final Smash Meter, or it will reset. Love that. Love that a lot. Make the Smash Meter tournament legal. It is the it is my favorite new mechanic of Smash Ultimate because it functions like a super in every other fighting game. Um like Street Fighter, your Dragon Ball Fighter Z, etc. etc. And some of these final smashes look cool. Yes, every final smash is different, and some characters don't have like kill final smashes like peach but she gets instant she has her final smash heals there's nothing better than getting you know percentage back her final smash is one of the best in the game though even if it it doesn't kill it's still one of the best in the game like because it pretty much fully heals her and it can get her any one good clean hit off Mm -hmm. so if you just need one smash attack to be gone you know you're getting that you're gone like you're out of there and she's fully healed that just that's such a big shift in momentum where all of a sudden, you know, all that damage you just put on Peach is gone and you're down a whole stock. It's not fun. Exactly. 
Uh, aside from that, there were some character-specific changes. Uh, they are too long to discuss. Far Patch too long. Patch notes are long, yeah. Uh, but uh, Newsweek has a uh, has a great article that breaks down every single character change uh, going forward. And they're pretty much, I would say, like a third of the roster got updated. Uh, mm-hmm. Certain char- like Ridley got in, uh, his back hair got stronger. Uh, Bayonetta will immediately descend using her down air attack after being after being launched. Like there are some cool changes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to find out all the specific changes, I suggest looking up this Newsweek art- article. It's literally just search Newsweek Smash 4 4.0 update. I'm sorry, Smash 4.0 update patch notes, and you will have all of that. Uh, but aside from that, I don't really have anything else to say about the Smash 4.0 update. I have only gotten about four hours with it. I want to spend a little bit more time with it, uh, specifically, you know, testing out these these uh, character patches uh, at a later date and time because I want to know how how this affects the game going forward. I'm kind of upset that Incineroar was not touched in the patches. Um, I would have liked to... I wouldn't have minded a nerf. I just wanted to see, like... Because it's just now, after two, you know, patches where Incineroar has not been touched, I'm like, Incineroar is not getting anything. They think Incineroar is just perfect the way he is. But I think Incineroar would be great if he had more mobility, speed, and power. <laughs> well, they nerfed Pichu. They nerfed Pichu, which Pichu was, like my favorite, like, returning character to this franchise, and mm-hmm. now he does uh, more damage to himself, although it hasn't been, like, a significant hindrance to my, my play style. It hasn't affected me too much. Uh, the issue but it, with Pichu is that he's now easier to hit as yes. the last update. Yes, yeah, they increased his hitbox. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, now you can hit his ears and he gets hurt. <laughs> All right, uh, a, Aside from that, yeah, I have nothing else to say on the Smash 4.0 update. I am excited about it. I'm glad it's happened. I'm glad we have new characters. Uh, but I'm ready to find out who the next new character is. Banjo. Yeah, after Banjo. Isn't there one more? Uh, is there only one more? I'm is there sure two more? I'm pretty oh. sure we have at least one Wait, left. yeah, three. No, it's three. We currently have them two. So we have two more. All right, five. So yeah. Five total. Yeah, let, let, let's get these new character reveals out there. Just give us some hints, Nintendo. Danny, Phantom, and Trek. Colin. No, 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 no. no. I um, love Danny Phantom, but uh, <laughs> no, we don't. No, I, I, I refuse. Only video game characters. Oh, okay. Look, um, we already got a curatorial characters in this game. But, you know, so Dragon Ball fans be happy enough. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now we're gonna talk a little bit of boring news, but I don't th- actually think it's that boring. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Nintendo's quarter two financial results because we're going to get to talk about some hardware and software sales. Uh, so as of yesterday, Nintendo released their quarter two software results and the Switch hardware sales were at 2.13 million this quarter. And that is up from 1.88 million in quarter one of last year. The total Switch hardware sales are now at 36.87 million units. We're we are approaching that 40 million units range, which we have Luigi's Mansion and we have a Pokemon game coming out at the end of this year. 40 million seems like it's right around the corner. 
especially, like, pair the Pokemon game up with the upcoming Switch Lite, a Switch Lite and Pokemon mm-hmm. will sell. Not to mention the uh, the revision to the OG Switch, which is mm-hmm. going to have the increased battery life, which is launching on uh, August 1st, I believe it is. Uh, so you have new new Switch hardware that has an increased battery life. You have the Switch Lite, which will be out what, a month or two, a month later. Mm-hmm. You have so you have two separate SKUs on the market. Uh, one that's a little bit more child friendly. Forty million units is legit right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as software sales are concerned, they were at twenty two point six two million for the quarter, and that is up from seventeen point nine six million uh, in quarter one of last year, which that's a pretty big up increase. That you know we're talking about five million more sales. Uh, and you look at what games came out at the end of last year, Pokemon Let's Go and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. You can you can you can say that those games account for a big number of that. Uh, total Switch software sales are now at 210 million point 210.13 million uh, software units sold. Uh, I I saw another article that says as of now the Switch has the highest attach rate of any other console on the market, uh, which is crazy. They still have some 3DS hardware sales numbers here. I'm going to gloss over that. The 3DS is dead as of the announcement of the Switch Lite. It is officially confirmed by me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Switch, the 3DS is dead. Long live the, the era of the Switch. Uh, they also gave us some uh, smart device uh, IP-related uh, information. They had made 10.005 million yen off of uh, smartphone games. That does not include Dr. Mario. That's everything up to Dr. Mario, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. This is good for Nintendo. These are the, these numbers are really good for Nintendo. They're showing that the Switch, after two years, hasn't actually slowed down uh, the way that a lot of people would like you to think it slowed down. Uh, we're seeing an increase uh, from year over year, which is nice. It shows that you know the people are buying the Switch are still buying the Switch, but they're also, people who have the Switch are buying a crap ton of content for the Switch, which is also really nice to hear because, like, you wonder, like, how well certain games are doing, and it's like, are they really doing that great? Like, yeah, they, like these, they're, they're announcing great games, and you think they're selling well. This is confirmation that these games are selling well. Speaking of games selling well, let's get into, like, sales numbers for software, because we have those two. So we have our top 10 best-selling first-party games on the Nintendo Switch. Number 10, Mario Tennis Aces is now at 2.75 million. 1-2 Switch is at 3.01 million. This game, people are still buying that game. Uh, New Super Mario. It's a cool experience. It is a cool experience. I I grant you that, but it's not a game that I actually play a whole lot of. Oh, of course not. Um, I've literally whipped it out at maybe like one or two parties. Yeah, twice for Uh, me. Yeah, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, which is a port of a Wii U game, 4.10 million units, which that's a really surprising number for me, especially when we all knew that Mario Maker was right around the corner. Uh, (laughs) Super Mario Party is at 6.99 million units sold. Uh, Splatoon 2 is now at 9.02 million. Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee sold a combined 10.98 million units. 
Uh, Breath of the Wild sold 13.61 million units. Uh, Smash Brothers has now officially outsold Breath of the Wild at 14.73 million units, which is a whole lot of copies of Smash Brothers out in the wild. Super Mario Odyssey is going to be the throne next at this rate. That game is at 14.94 million units. And the game that's never going to be dethroned on the Nintendo Switch's number one software sales, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, 17.89 million units sold. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is a port of Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U, has now sold 17.89 million units. That is a big number. For, we especially, have two ports in this then, or three? We Only have two, right? two ports. I have Super Mario Bros. Yeah. U and okay. Mario Kart 8. I, I mean, Breath of the Wild? Kind of? Yeah, I'll, I'll that classify that as a port. You're right, you're right, yeah. I just forget sometimes, but it is in fact a port. Um, This is cool news, like... It's it's crazy to think that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has sold that many units, and it got a it got a weird bump in sales after Crash Team Racing got announced, which mm-hmm. I thought that was I was like, why are people buying Mario Kart when Crash came out? I was like, is this like a spike thing? This game selling. I think it's like people. Oh, I really like Crash Team Racing, but I want more of it. You know, what game has more of good kart racing? Mario Kart. You know, that makes sense. I do want to talk about one uh, game on the 3DS as far as sales is concerned. Mario Kart 8, uh, I'm sorry, Mario Kart 7 on the 3DS is the number one selling game on the Nintendo 3DS at 18.38 million units. It's such an old game at this point, too, is the craziest part. But it's still, it deserves it because it's Mario Kart. But look at how quickly Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has almost overshadowed it. Yeah, 17.89 million units. Uh, for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe versus Mario Kart 7 with, at 18.38 million units. And the Nintendo 3DS has a much larger install base. The game keeps selling like that, and it's going to overtake the 3DS game, which I didn't think was possible. That's insane. Like, Now, this is this bothers me even more, though. You see like the attach rate for these big first-party titles, these big games. And you think that EA can't put some shit out of their ass and release a good game? There are damn near 40 million Switch units out on the market right now. The attach rate is higher on this platform than any other platform currently. Why can't you make a good game, EA? Yeah, I'm back at you, Andrew Wilson. You think I forgot? <laughs> no, I'm, seriously, though. D- these are good numbers. Like, this is this is showing growth of the platform. And you can only imagine that the Switch Lite is going to improve things now because it's going to expand the Switch's market to, to a younger audience because it's a cheaper, more affordable system that appears to be more durable from, from like, you know, just a visual perspective of it. It looks like mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a more solid unit than the standard Nintendo Switch because it looks like it is designed with younger players in mind. So I can only imagine that come this holiday season, if Nintendo Switch doesn't get to like 39 million units after this you know holiday season that would be more worrisome uh because you have pokemon and you see here that pokemon let's go 10.98 million units combined despite people saying they didn't want it and now we have this new pokemon controversy i'm not sure if this new controversy affects the sales of the guy i think we get close to these numbers again 
despite despite all the drama. I've been I've been thinking it over while we've been talking about this, and I wouldn't be surprised if we just like overshot and got to fifty million or close to fifty million by by end of twenty twenty nineteen. Like by twenty twenty January first, like I think we could either get close to or past fifty million. Like I think it's scarily possible. I think I don't want to be. I don't want to give Nintendo that much credit. I I still think that they are going to. Even if that number was achievable, they won't have enough flat systems. They to, won't. to physically sell. Yeah. Because they're. You think they're dividing production of the current Switch for the Switch Lite, and they're gonna stifle. Stifle? No. Um. Stifle. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't. I I just don't think that they are going to have enough Switch Lights on hand. Nintendo. That's Nintendo. fair. Like, and that's gonna be the one that's going to really do a lot of the selling this holiday season mm-hmm. i think when it comes to what what's what's going to be important this holiday season with the new pokemon game with luigi's mansion they're tar- like clearly the games that are coming out are are reaching for you know the younger audience as well so they need to have you know the the switch lights gonna is gonna carry the weight of those of the sales of those games i, I can guarantee that People are going to be like, oh, snap, a more affordable Switch and a new Pokemon game. I'm going to get the cheaper version of the Switch with that new Pokemon game, and I'm going to be happy. That's what they think is going to happen. And there's not going to be enough units to accommodate the need that that, that Nintendo's going to – there's not going to be enough units to accommodate the need, essentially is what I'm trying to get at. I really can't talk today. You but yeah. Both. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be enough, and – Nintendo's gonna miss the mark because that's just what Nintendo does, unfortunately. They they always miss the mark, even when they have the hottest product on the market. Okay. I I'm see just, your logic, yeah. I'm just I'm just I, I just have to be as realistic as possible when it comes to Nintendo. As much as I, I think they're doing really well in this uh with this with the Switch platform. I also see that that Nintendo has still made a lot of mistakes with the Nintendo Switch and that's just who Nintendo is, and it's never really ever going to change. And I, we just have to come to accept this. We'll be happier in life if we accept these problems. <laughs> mm. I feel like I'll be more stressed out when a new console launches than happier. That's another thing. Historically, when Nintendo has a really good console, the next console line suffers significantly. So, like... Everything is sunny right now with the Nintendo Switch. But if history tells us anything, we have to be wary about the Switch 2 or whatever they name the new console. The Switch U. Oh, God, they might actually name it the Switch U. I hope they go back and call things Game Boy again. Like, I really wish it was called the Game Boy Switch. Just to feed into my nostalgia there. Speaking of the Game Boy... Just out of nowhere, uh, today is the 30th anniversary of the Game Boy in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that said, that's going to wrap up our Powered Up news. Uh, so guys, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a five-minute break, and when we come back, we're going to jump into our topic, which is our Splatoon 2 post-mortem. We're going to put this game into the grave, uh, metaphorically speaking. Anyway, guys, with that, thank you. We will be back in five minutes.
welcome back to the Nintendo Power Zone podcast. If you are just now joining us, which is weird because we're no longer live, you missed out on our Powered Up news. Uh, so going forward, we are going to get into our Splatoon 2 postmortem. So uh, with that, I've written a statement that I would like to read real quick. Uh, with the Final Fest happening in Splatoon 2 on July 18th, going through the 21st, and with today's 5.0 update, that pretty much wraps up Splatoon 2's development cycle. And from here on out, the game will most likely fall into evergreen status as a fully developed experience that any new player will be able to jump into so, uh, similar to games like Smash Brothers and Mario Karts and, you know, the other evergreen titles that Nintendo likes to make. Uh, so what I want to do today is do this uh, Splatoon 2 postmortem and talk about the changes that were made from Splatoon 1 to Splatoon 2, the Octo expansion, and our thoughts on the Final Fest. And finally, I want to get into what we would like to see in a Splatoon 3. Now, mind you guys, Splatoon 2 is one of my favorite games on the Nintendo Switch to this day. Uh, it really does have evergreen status in my opinion it's just a fun game and there were a lot of changes between the first game and this game so with that being said let's dive into our postmortem starting with some changes from splatoon we got all new specials all new specials uh splatoon one we had specials like uh the kraken and whatnot we had specials that granted you limited invincibility in splatoon 2 that was the first thing they wiped away. All these specials that leave you invulnerable, they're gone. You can die in a special now. And we had some really standout specials. Uh, the Tentum Missiles have really dominated in the Splatoon meta. Uh, my personal favorite is the uh, the Splashdown. It just feels like you're Thor and you're dropping the hammer on somebody. So visually, I, I like the way that one is represented. Uh, you have other specials like the Baller. Uh, which is kind of a spin on the uh, previous uh, uh, the bubble special from Splatoon 1, uh, but with uh, with the added caveat that you cannot be killed in it, and it has a larger blast radius. Then you got some newer specials that were added more recently, like the Booyah Bomb, which and the and the Stamper, which are a lot of fun visually, uh, especially the uh, Booyah Bomb, the way that's represented on the screen. It's literally like a a Dragon Ball Z spirit bomb moment, and the fact that you have to ask your teammates to booyah you so that they can, like, do the Goku, give me your energy, so that the booyah bomb gets bigger. All that stuff is very cool. So these new specials really fundamentally change the game. It makes a lot of Splatoon 1 specials seem rather elementary, and the added fact that you are no longer invulnerable during a special... That changes the game, too, because if you're sitting there charging up a Booyah Bomb and you get killed before you have a chance to throw it, that could literally change the, the tide of a battle in that given moment. Like, certain cer certain specials have become vitally important to the Splatoon 2 meta. Like I said, the Tentum Missiles are one that really live in the meta, especially, like, when you start doing, like, uh, the rank modes. You see a lot of teams that have, that, like, literally build their, their, their team set around the fact that you have multiple Tenta Missile users. Climbuts, it's uh, two Tenta Missile users, a, a Baller and a Bubbler. Mm-hmm. Although the Bubbler is not one of my favorite specials. That one is a little... I use a Roller predominantly, and the Bubbler makes it real hard to capitalize off of that one, off well, of that weapon. What you would do is you would... Uh, specifically for a Clam Blitz, it allows you to get in 
to the opponent's base. So you have, you know, all your clams at the ready, and then someone throws at the bubbles, one person explodes the bubbles with the baller, and then you just you just throw all, all in. So, I mean, it, it's very dependent on the mode, too, but Tent Abyssals are a mainstay in pretty much all modes, and you'll develop, you know, your, your other uh, super weapons around, you know, maybe the mode or just what you personally like. Um, personally, I am a big fan of the Splashdown since it's simple, it's easy, um, it's, it's not the best, but it's simple, easy, it, it's on a lot of weapons that I like, like the normal just splatter shot, um, I like it a lot. One of the, the bigger things that I miss from Splatoon 1 is the Echo Locator, which I, I like and I dislike that it's not back, because Echo Locator was great, but it wasn't, I think, so, so I guess that they had a, a theme, I want to say for, for all the specials this time, where they're just all fun, and they all ink and kill. That that sound, like, accurate to you? Where none of them are, like, utility specials. Like, there was a lot of utility specials in one. Yeah. Um, which were cool. Like, Echo Locator was busted. I just, the whole team? Yeah, I know exactly where you are. You can't even hide in your ink anymore. Pinpointed. Well, like. I mean, there are clearly two weapons in Splatoon 2 that take a lot of, like, influence uh from splatoon one the tenta missiles are like mm -hmm. an offshoot of the, the ink strike. strike uh now granted the ink strike was better at inking territory mm -hmm. uh you didn't have to worry about like locking on to you know an opposing team now granted that was a f because the, the of the removal of the gamepad this is mm -hmm. this is a good compromise of somehow maintaining the special but then you have the stingray which is like an offshoot of the killer whale. Mm -hmm. But you actually have like a certain range of motion with the stingray. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, I thought the killer whale visually looked better. And uh, there's only one weapon in the in Splatoon 2 that even remotely looks like the killer whale. That's the princess cannon that uh, Pearl, Pearl uses mm -hmm. in the uh, Octo expansion. And there the is Final a Fest. Uh, that was used in the Final Fest, which was one of my favorite moments in the Final Fest was like... <laughs> being the guy to get her to bust that out. That was awesome. Uh, but aside from that, like, the only utility uh, special that we have here is the ink armor, um, which has gone through a lot of, like, buffs and nerfs throughout, you know, the existence of Splatoon 2. I've, very useful in a pinch is ink armor, but, like, as far as you know, getting, like, a kill off of it, you're not... It's impossible. Uh but yeah, I, I do enjoy a lot of the specials. I do miss the Kraken, though. There was something visually awesome about turning into a, like, steroid monster squid. Like, and I love that, too, like, because giant squids are real a thing in real life. So it was cool to have, like, a giant squid represented in the game, and we no longer have that in Splatoon 2. So I do miss certain specials. I really miss the Ink Zooka, though. Uh, I, what I miss about that is, like, the... Uh, Oh my god, what is the name of that uh, rank mode? Turf Wars, Rainmaker? No, rain, no, the other one where you... Tower yeah, the Rainmaker. Control. Yeah, you're, you're right, Rainmaker. Like, the rain, the Inkzuka and the Rainmaker functioned identically to a degree. Uh, and now the Rainmaker shoots very differently from the it way lobs. it did. In yeah, I missed the Rainmaker of uh, Splatoon mm -hmm. 1, and it's... Oh. See, that's like a function of the Ink Zuku no longer being present in Splatoon 2. What? Rainmaker on... Was it... Not Walleye Warehouse. Uh, Port... Port Mackerel? Port Mackerel. Yeah. 
the the freight yard place. Yeah, uh, where it's like that was not lines. okay. <laughs> oh, I yeah. love that stage and the and the in like the rainmaker. <laughs> it was one of my favorite things. Like, oh man. But yeah, I mean the new specials really did like add a lot more competitiveness to Splatoon 2 as a whole. Uh, no longer being invincible during specials really makes a difference as far as meta is concerned. So really thought that that was those changes as much as like I miss certain specials they are a function of making the game slightly more competitive mm-hmm. uh moving on we got new weapon types Dueling and brellas brellas yeah. are so good well I'm not a big fan of the brellas but I love the duallys the duallys having multiple guns in this game really you know that can be utilized simultaneously really even though like they're not really doing more damage than like just having like your standard like uh splatter shot mm-hmm. but visually the way they are represented is much cooler uh plus they get the added benefit of the ability of rolling coward's uh, roll yeah aside from that a coward <laughs> oh no i roll all the time screw you okay i'm trying to win i'm trying to win you go Real ahead and lose if go you in want. Without rolls, no man, hey, take it head on. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I used duallys during the entire Final Fest, and uh, we both know what Team One Final Fest. We'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, 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 you picked wrong, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I I went undefeated for the few. I didn't play a lot, but of the few games I did play, I went undefeated. So I mean, hey, I'll take my undefeated. <laughs> So yeah, we uh we got all the returning classes. Uh, so we had these, uh, the slosh buckets return. We had the uh the splatter shots return. We had the rollers and the and the brushes return. Uh, what else returned? Splatlings. Splatling guns. Yeah, hate those. Oh. Uh, but okay. we also got you know you know the duallys with the new types and what I'm I'm trying to go through the weapon list in Splatoon right now. There we go. List of weapons of Splatoon 2. The Blob Lobber, I actually want to talk about real quick. I hate that weapon. So it's so, so cheap. Remember, like, I'm not sure if you know, but back in the Splatoon 1 days, someone had, like, data mined the game and gotten, like, all of the weapons that were scheduled to release, and all of them were accurate. Except for one, called the uh, Super Bubble... Wait, what is it? Super Bubble... Ooh. I don't even know what it's called now. Um, I used to know. Super Baller or something? Super Ball Launcher? I don't know. I'm freaking out now. I swear I had it. Um, but I, I don't. That was never really released, and it was supposed to be like a paid weapon where you would pay money for this weapon, but it never actually came out. But it was like Thank in God. the code. I know, right? That would, that wouldn't be fun to have to pay for a weapon, especially if it was busted. Um, but I just based off like the description of like Super Ball Launcher or something. Uh, it makes it kind of sound like, oh, hey, the blob lobber, the blow blubbler, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> but I can't seem to actually find what it was actually called now. Sure. Because this is a very old leak that no one probably cares about anymore. Well, while you're talking, to, while you're looking that up, I want to talk about the Brellas because they were the major addition as far as weapon types, as far as Splatoon 2 was concerned. So these didn't actually come out during launch. They were available in the story mode campaign. Uh, where you did have to use them, but they were not available until the August update in Splatoon 2, which was the first major update. So we started with the Splatbrella. Uh, 
it's it's the most balanced of the t- of the uh, umbrellas. Then we got our ver- our variations of the tent umbrella, which is the one that has a very large like umbrella that covers everything. And then you have your like undercover umbrellas, which are like more see through. They're lightweight. They take less damage. But what I like about the umbrellas is that they function as shotguns in Splatoon, which we hadn't yet had a shotgun style weapon in Splatoon. So it was nice to see you know the. Uh, the brothers get added to the game because up until this point we've seen like every like traditional weapon style be honored like the splatling guns function as like your your high speed like uh guns like your your choppers or mm-hmm. you know you have your you have your uh your your sniper uh references but they have the splat charges there we go you have your charges which function as sniper rifles uh, and you have your 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 standard like blasters, which function as like I don't know how to describe a blaster. Uh, they're sort of like shotguns, but not really. Uh, but then you have your standard your your splatter shots, which are your short range guns. And you had seen almost everything like represented up until this point, but the umbrellas really represented like adding a a shotgun to the game. So I thought. They were the biggest uh, addition as far as main weapons are concerned. Mm-hmm. We also saw the advent of a bunch of new sub-weapons. Uh, but we also lost uh, some subs. Uh, my favorite... <laughs> so, the Seeker was replaced with the Curling Bomb. Now, for those who remember the Seeker in Splatoon 1, it was the little RC car that created a path of ink for you to swim down, and then they exploded. The curling bombs function the same way, but they bounce off the walls. I think the curling bombs uh, were actually better than the uh, the seeker. The auto bombs returned. Ink mines returned. Uh, we also got the uh, the toxic mist was was a was a new addition that that really changes modes like uh, tower control. Rainmaker uh, as well. Oh yeah, Rainmaker as well. Uh, the sprinklers back, the beacons, the beacons. As much as I love these these items, uh, I feel like they took a hit because of the fact that the game no longer uses the gamepad, mm-hmm. uh, and jumping to beacons is actually a little bit more of a tedious process. They are still super useful in both games, but as far as function is concerned, they work better in Splatoon One because you have the mini map on the uh, the gamepad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super jumping in general is kind of hard. Now we lost the disruptor that was exclusive to Splatoon One. Uh, the auto bomb was new to Splatoon Two. Uh, suction bombs returned. Splat bombs returned. Uh, the point else. sensor returned as well, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So like the sub weapons. Uh, we also got the new ones like the uh, the torpedo, which is relatively new. Yeah, uh, new addition. Like- Mm-hmm. Like, I'm surprised at how just new many, like, completely new things they added at the end. Yeah, and the same for the fizzy bomb, which is, like, shaking up a can of soda, mm-hmm. which visually is, like, one of the funniest sub-weapons in the game. Oh, for sure. I like that a lot. So I was happy to see, like, the subs that did come back, but I was happier with, with a lot of the newer additions as far as subs are concerned. Now, mm-hmm. I do miss, like, the, uh... I do miss the sub-weapons that granted you, like, uh, better ink resistance in the first game, where, like, like this game, you do not have a lot of those, like, ink-resistant sub-weapons that you had in the previous game, which means you can die a lot faster in this game. 
but it is what it is. I do, I do like all of these changes that they made to the gameplay mechanics. They made the game much more competitive, which is what the game needed to be. Like, Splatoon 1 is a great game, but it, as far as, like, its competitiveness, Splatoon 2 really outclasses it as far as, like, having a true, like, competitive, like, uh, scene. Uh, and we've seen, like, multiple world tournaments for Splatoon 2. We only had the one in Splatoon, in the original Splatoon game. So it goes to show that Nintendo has actually taken note of the addition, the changes to the gameplay and said, hey, this game is more competitive now. We can actually, like, do these things with the franchise, which is nice. It's nice to let to see Nintendo taking a bigger role in making these games like esports. Mm-hmm. Now they're not as big as other esports, and they're still not giving out prize money. Uh, but one could hope that they decide that Splatoon Three could be a very competitive esport game. It's called the Big Ball Launcher, by the way. <laughs> big you. Ball Launcher. I, I found it. I, like, gave up and, like, wait, big ball. And I Googled it and I found it. So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. So, we got some new modes. And I really want to talk about these modes because the gameplay modes in Splatoon 1 really were... They, they were really fun. Like, when you mm-hmm. think about uh, Tower Control and Rainmaker. And you Tower also Control is not fun. I love Tower Control. It's, it's my okay. best mode. Okay. Like, I, I play best when I play Tower like, Control. I was really good at Tower Control, but, like, I can't condone the fact that just sitting on the tower while it while it moves is, like, is supposed to be fun. Like, that's not fun to me. Like, get, like, the whole payload thing, you know, escort the payload, uh, but it just... <laughs> I don't like that. It's, it's not a fun game mode. I think team-based shooters should drop it. Like, it doesn't... Like, I'm good at it. It's okay, but, like... No. <laughs> See, what what I like about, like, Splatoon mo- game modes for the most part is they're all, like, variations on, tra- on like, your more traditional, like, other Objective. gameplay modes. Yeah, so you, like, your tower control is, is kind of like your king of the hill mode. Uh, your, uh, your splat zones is kind of like your capture the flag mode. Uh, uh, I was to- thinking it as capture the point, mm-hmm. or, you know, capture point A, capture point B, and then, um... Tower Controls escort the payload, and then Rainmaker is sort of a variant on that. Well, I, I feel like think. Rainmaker is like the man with the golden gun mode in, oh, uh, that too, yeah. in Bond, where like... But you that's know, only Bond. Yeah, true, but it, it's like very reminiscent based. of that. Yeah, okay. And then I your clan, clan Blitz is, you know, your first new mode added to this game. I don't know how to describe it, uh, but visually, I think the football references that they make are perfect mm-hmm. i love clan blitz like i know it's a very hard mode and it does require the most coordination out of any of the game modes that have been added to splatoon 2 but competitively clan blitz functions so well like if you have a remotely solid team at clan blitz you can do some amazing things especially with things like beacons and, and just super jumping to people with like like the du- dunking. Dunking mm-hmm. is one of my favorite things to do. Super jump once you have a football and drop that shit right into the basket. Love Clambits. Clambits is the most innovative mode in Splatoon 2. And again, like I said, it, while it does require the most coordination, winning 
is the most gratifying feeling when you win a clam blitz match. I agree with everything you say, but I also think that clam blitz needs a bit more balance to it. Uh, it's it's very hard to come back in clam blitz. Yes, that's uh, true. It's it's if you're behind, it can be almost impossible to come back. And if you're if you're facing a team that you know are is equal to your skill level, you're both really really good teams. The stalemates can be incredibly hard if you don't aren't able to make that push into getting getting points. You know? I've actually had clan blitz matches that went into overtime with the zero score on both mm-hmm. ends. Yeah, it happens way too much. And these are very well coordinated teams. They're they're know what they're doing. They're very strong. But the issue is that they're so strong no one can get a point. <laughs> Reducing the number of clans that you need to to get to create the football would make a significant difference in the pacing of a match. Oh, I think going going from like maybe ten to like six or seven would would really increase the pace of clan blitz. But as it is right now, it's still my favorite mode. The issue I think with clan blitz is that there's just too many issues with there's too many barriers stopping you from scoring points. You have to get ten clams keep them and then before anyone else can throw any kind of clams in you have to throw the big one first yeah and then you have to throw the others like it's it's too many barriers to scoring points and and smart teams have a really good point guard like Mm -hmm. the best teams always you know have somebody guarding the basket Mm -hmm. uh doing a really good job because because you have to make that approach yeah you you're you're somewhat of a sitting duck Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I mean, it's still a really, really fun mode as far as new additions to the game. Uh, the other major addition as far as gameplay modes are concerned is Salmon Run. Um, Salmon Run really is a great, great mode. It functions as Splatoon's Horde mode. Uh, and I remember when they announced it, I was skeptical of nintendo being able to really capture like the freneticness of a horde mode when that when we saw splatoon 2 at that e3 i guess it was the uh 26 2016 e3 no 2017 e3 mm-hmm. and they were really showcased yeah because the game launched after e3 after e3 mm-hmm. yeah when they were showcasing samurai at the 2017 e3 i became a believer instantly because like no they really captured like how crazy and like scary a horde mode can be horde modes can be really scary especially once you know you start getting swarmed uh and your teammates are nowhere in sight now mm-hmm. that being said though the better you are at clan blitz the harder it gets like i'm at professional right now professional you mean you mean salmon run Blitz. Yeah, I said Clamblitz. Yes, and Samblitz. Yes, the the better you are at Salmon Run, the harder that mode gets. Mm-hmm. And it becomes really brutal at the professional stage. Like, oh, yeah. Really brutal. And I'm like, at times I was like, how do they expect anybody to win this? Oh, but there are certain things like uh, the Griller that to this day terrify me because it's coming off the heels of Breath of the Wild. I was like, oh, my God. It's like the, the giant, what are those stupid robots called? guardians the guardians is like they're like the guardians of the splatoon universe and they're terrifying and they're these giant freaking grills that shoot ink under you like you get trapped on a griller that's it you're done 
grillers are are good and bad. Like you can either really really cheese a griller by hiding on a wall, or like camping them. Like oh hey, you're all the way up here now. I'm gonna jump off. I'm gonna go back up. I'm gonna jump up. Like you can cheese grillers, but if people can't kill the grillers, then they start to overwhelm you, and then they're terrifying. So grillers are very multiple, hit or miss. Once multiple grillers hit the stage at the same mm-hmm. time, like if you're being chased by like two at a time, yeah, you're like it gets really, especially because Salmon Run, the weapon set is different every time you play. Some weapons aren't conducive to killing the griller very well. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you have like a, if you have like one of the bad rollers. Oh yeah, really you, can't hard even, to... you can't even hit it. Like, it's, yeah. go too low. Like, no. Yeah, there are certain weapons that like really, really don't, aren't suited to fight grillers. And, brushes. And, and... Oh, oh gosh, yeah, the brushes right? are the worst. But that's also another thing. Like, Salmon Run kind of teaches you to be to get good with multiple weapon sets, um, because you you're gonna have a different weapon in every stage of uh, of of uh, Salmon Run. It makes the horde mode a lot more challenging, especially if you don't have familiarity with something like dualies or sniper rifles. I'm terrible with the chargers, absolutely terrible with chargers. So I know that when I get into Samurai and I'm playing with a splat charger, hmm. I'm the weak link on the team. And instead of like popping off like really long shots, I tend to like burst fire with the splatter shots just to do as much as I can to kind of like play support for my team versus like actually going out and killing, you know, some of the bigger beasts that, sh- that show up. Mm-hmm. That being said, like there's a lot of anim- enemy variety in salmon run as well. Uh, you have your, like your basic salmons uh, you, and then you have like your boss style salmons, which some of those things suck to kill. I think the only one I have an issue with is the fly fish because there's only one way to kill it. Yeah. All the rest. Well, there's supposed to be one. two ways, but I've never been able to actually kill it with the splashdown. The splashdown is supposed to be able to kill it. They made a patch to it to kill it, and I was like, this doesn't work. Am I supposed to like jump on top of the sucker to kill it? Because I don't know what you want me to do. Well, either way, I think it should have a way where you can kill it by. Uh, uh, you know, just firing your gun at it. Every other boss can die that way. No other boss but the fly fish is immune. And that is bad, because most people online don't know how to kill the fly fish. Even the tutorial shows you how to kill it. No one knows how. And then all of a sudden, it's like 20 fly fish on the screen, and no, because no one's killed them. To this day, I have not seen the... Uh... I, have not... I have not seen... The tutorial for Samurai. I just literally jumped in it and kind of learned. Part learned. of the problem. I learned on the fly. I know how to kill every enemy. But not everyone is able to. And people need to do tutorials. If if you're not able to learn it on the fly like nice one, do the tutorial, please. Now, please. aside from that, there are other things that happen within Samurai that make it more challenging. You have your events. So you have your high tides, your mid tides, and your low tides. You know, mid tide is standard where like the water level is at a manageable level then you have your low tides where the water recedes all the way to the bottom and new sections of the stage are revealed Mm -hmm. and things can get really dicey in high tide especially when you have things like the goldie Mm -hmm. when you when you're playing with and the fireflies attached to you and you get sworn by like hundreds of salmon at once and you don't have anywhere to run you have to stand your ground and hope that your teammates 
are going to protect you. I love how bizarre some of the, the events can get, like the UFO event. Like, yes. that's so cool, wacky, and I love it. The mothership mode. Oh, yeah, mothership, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, and then, you know, nighttime with the fog. Mm-hmm. That oh, is. Fog. Creepy. Oh, man. Fog makes it so. Dude, fog is like the worst Mm-mm. because you don't know they're there until they're right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so it's very high tension. Like, and that's that's what I love about Splatoon 2. Like, the in, in Salmon Run, they managed to get tension in that mode. Uh, and that's not present in any other mode of the game. Uh, mm. not even in like, you know, competitive multiplayer. Like, I'm fairly confident in when I'm playing in ranked modes because I'm using the weapon set that I am accustomed to. You start taking those things away from me, and there's a level of tension there. That I'm not sure if, like, I'm going to be able to perform to the best of my ability. I mean, if you give me a splat charger, and then you put on the golden seeking, uh, and and you have all those things charging at me at once, I suck in that moment. So, I mean, I love that mode. Like, it, and I love that that, game, that mode launched with Splatoon 2. Like, we've seen the development cycles of two Splatoon games. Mm-hmm. These games have gradually gotten bigger, you know throughout you know their their development cycle and they have extended development cycles they launch with pretty bare bones like you have your your ranked mode and you have your turf war mode uh but this one launched with your rank mode your turf mode and salmon run now granted you couldn't play salmon run every day in the beginning like now it's a lot more the schedule for salmon runs become a lot more frequent mm-hmm. um but it was nice that there was an additional mode there because Clan Blitz didn't launch until the August update as well, which was a fairly big update to Splatoon 2. That being said, all these gameplay modes combined together, they really shape how Splatoon 2 is an evergreen-style game. Like, you have all these different ways and modes to play in, and you have a fairly large online community. You're never really ever waiting for a match to to begin you know you're, you're always going to be able to populate a room even after the after a nintendo switch to the paid online service splatoon 2 still has a large online community and that was the one game that i was i really worried would take a hit by making you know by by making the service a paid for service and it didn't seem to have affected the game all that much uh mm. that being like I think they said they sold something like 20 million Nintendo Switch Online uh, service accounts. And we are now at a point where Splatoon 2, what did we say it sold? 10 10 million copies or 9 point something million copies? I couldn't tell you. Ah, We were just talking about it. I know. I I don't remember statistics. Uh, Mario Kart is at 18 million... 13.87 13.87 million, right? Okay, I'm Splatoon has sold no. 9.02 million. So <laughs> they sold, they've sold 20 million uh, Nintendo Switch Online service accounts. That potentially means that the entire install base of Splatoon has Nintendo Switch Online. Mm-hmm. Potentially. We don't know if that's 100% true or not, but it, it means it could. For sure, uh, yeah. So, like I said, all these modes make for a really evergreen title. And that puts Splatoon in good company because it's now within the same lines of Smash Brothers and Mario Kart. Your online party-based games that can be played endlessly. Mm-hmm. 
which that that does, there are not a whole lot of games on the market on any console that can just be played endlessly. They they really are your shooters, your racers, and your fighters. I argue Pokemon can, but it does have like a definitive start end point in terms mm-hmm. of story and whatnot. But like you can play Pokemon for as long as you find Pokemon fun in that true, playthrough. True. Like, but I, I would I, I throw Pokemon in there with the Evergreen status because it does have a competitive mm-hmm. aspect to it. But it's not a racer, fighter, or shooter. True. It's an RPG. It's RPGs your rare just... RPG. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's your rare RPG that can break into that mode. For sure. Yeah. All right. So moving on to our next uh, addition to Splatoon 2, we had a more fleshed out story mode than we did in the first game. Um, I will say this. As much as I enjoyed the story mode in Splatoon 2, it really was a more expansive version of the original, but with less lore. Splatoon 1's story mode gave you a lot of lore, uh, especially in the diary. Mm-hmm. And Splatoon's lore has become... People love the lore, I, m- myself included. The lore of the Splatoon universe is really engaging. It's this post-apocalyptic world where humans have gone extinct and the world has become repopulated by by squids that uh, anthropomorphic squids that can change their form and octopi and other denizens of the sea world. It's an interesting theme. It, like you could <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that better than what I just did. But it makes for, like, a great story. And I felt like Splatoon's 2 story mode, even though they, like, ramped up, like, the challenges and they, they added all this cool stuff to the game, they removed a lot of the lore from the game, which made the experience seem a little bit more hollow. And then the final boss, not as good as the final boss in Splatoon 1. Like, Splatoon 1's final boss was, like, these are all the things you learn throughout the course of playing the story mode. Utilize everything so you have your invisible blocks you have your boss fight where you have to smack uh the hands into the into the boss and then you move on and it was done segmented so you had to go from one segment of the stage to the other until you got to that like final showdown where he's like shooting rockets at you and you have to shoot the rockets back and that was amazing like that was a gauntlet that wasn't just the boss yes. level that was a boss gauntlet of that final dj octavio battle taking you through the entire game you just played condensed into the most high stakes dramatic fast boss level with, with some the of the best music intense build up good music and just hype peak ending it was so good Splatoon 2 dropped the ball on that hardcore they He's dropped like, the ball ride the ink rails and shoot it from up top what that was not fun that was why is this so easy i was like it there's got to be a second mode Right? There wasn't. It was just so anticlimactic after coming off of that, and I was like, I was like, this what, what? Um, <laughs> I I I do like a lot of the innovation they brought there, and I I didn't mind the lack of lore because it kind of set things up to go, you know, here's what happened afterwards, and here's how these events are going to affect the future, and we also see a lot of that with uh, what we're going to talk about next, uh, the yes. Octo expansion, and it also goes into a lot more lore that you think you might have been missing as well okay. on terms of the Octo side. Well, yeah, let's go into that because you, you briefly mentioned that. Uh, Splatoon 2 takes place roughly two, two years. years two years after the end of Splatoon 1. And the events of the final fest in Splatoon 1 carry 
the story in Splatoon 2. So the last fi- the final Splatfest in Splatoon 1 was Callie versus Marie. Uh, Callie won. No, I'm sorry, Marie won. Marie, Marie won. The green one, yeah. Yeah, Marie won. Uh, and after that, she started to notice that uh, her and Callie had started to drift apart. Drift apart. They, they started working on solo projects by themselves, uh, and she was worried that maybe the end of uh, the, the Squid Sisters. The Squid Sisters, yes, thank you. They were starting to worry that she was starting to worry that the Squid Sisters were about to break up. Mysteriously, Callie, you know, Mer- yeah, Callie goes back to her hometown and doesn't return, which makes uh, Marie worry. She instantly feels like something is wrong. Uh, the uh, the uh, the fish is stolen again. The zap fish. The yeah. zap fish. Yes, the the great zap fish. I'm sorry because there are multiple zap fish. The well, great all zap the fish. small zap fish were stolen too. Yes. So the great zap fish is stolen again, and that's roughly where we begin Splatoon 2 with the aftermath. But you notice when Splatoon 2 begins, you notice little things about the game, in game. So with the with the great zapfish gone, you notice that there are little power generators in the plaza. Like it seems like they are trying to sustain themselves with other forms of energy because they no longer have their great power source. And it's represented visually in the game pretty flawlessly. It's easy to miss those little tidbits that hey, look, there's a generator there. There's a generator there. The people of this world are they're kind of suffering a bit because they've lost their main power. So, like, imagine if if the the if all power went out in America. That's what the what the Inklings are living through. Like, they're they're going through like not having a major source of power, and they're trying to. They're, and yet they somehow manage to like still have pop idols, still have fresh clothes, and and still like. Exit, you know, keep the world in a somewhat like normal state for them. But you start, you you see the little things that were done in game, um, and and that's all very cool. And another thing that's noticeably missing, Captain Cuttlefish, he, he uh, he's not in the main game because he's on a separate mission with Agent Three, and we don't know where they are until the Octo expansion. So with that, let's go ahead and talk about. The Octo Expansion, because you're right. The Octo Expansion does provide Splatoon 2 with the lore that I felt was sorely missing within the mainline game. It is the lore of Splatoon. You get so much of it. So much of it. To the point where the final bad guy is the lore of Splatoon. Like, his whole backstory is Splatoon lore, and I loved it. This old-timey phone, which is this gloop, which was created by a science... Fuck, I love the Octo Expansion story. I really did. And then on top of that, you have you uh, Agent 8. You're playing as an Octoling for the first time, which you've never done that in the game. And people have been asking for it since Splatoon 1 because for some reason people fell in love with the Octolings. I did too, mind you. <laughs> they were, they, visually, they're cooler than the Squidlings. The oh, offended. I don't care. Especially, the, <laughs> I, they are visually more impressive. They have froze. Well, I, the thing I like the most about the Octolings is actually how their tentacles, or their suction cups, rather, are, are visible on the outside of their hair, whereas with the squids, it's on the inside, which doesn't have as much visual weight to it, I feel. Um, be, beyond that, uh, I think there's a whole lot of lore in this. 
and it's a good amount of content for the 20 bucks you're paying. Uh, it's it's people say that's it's lovely. hard. I didn't see see it was as hard as people were saying. Um, I never well, had to skip. It's definitely harder than the mainline game. I, like, I I agree with that. I actually um, think it was one of the hardest. It's one of the hardest like games I've ever I've played on a Nintendo platform as far as like just sheer difficulty is concerned. Like I don't feel like a lot of Nintendo games like embody that sort of brutalness that mm-hmm. that, that the Octo expansion had. The Octo expansion can be unforgiving at times. But I wouldn't say it's ever hard. But like, oh man, no, 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 that girl, up, girl like power, dope. girl power is one of the most difficult oh. stages of any stage in any game I've ever played. Girl that power is is, yeah. is a brutal slap in the face. I wanted to punch a hole through my TV because of girl power. I honestly thought I was gonna punch a hole through my TV. I don't even remember what you what weapon I used to beat it, but when I finally beat it, I had like a pop off like I won an entire Smash tournament. I, dude, girl power just oh god, it's so brutal. Um, but I mean, it, it was a, a very welcome expansion, and if, if the final boss in the main story mode was lackluster, the final boss in Octo expansion was. Incredible. It wasn't as good as the first one still, but it was still incredible. Well, you, well they brought back that gauntlet. You did have to run a gauntlet to get to the final boss. Mm-hmm. Like, but that to, wasn't to the escape, final boss. Like, the the gauntlet itself, I kind of liked more, if I'm going to be honest. Especially with the, the hidden... Should I say what... Does everyone know at this point? I mean, it's no. been long enough. Yeah. I, it's been over a year. I, I think... I okay. think spoilers are free. I mean, okay. people can play as Octoling in the main game. If you haven't bought the DLC, it's not expensive. All and right. it's definitely your time. <laughs> um, but there's like a, a hidden boss. You go through all the levels and clear them before uh, you you get to the final boss. And you see a weaker version of him slash her um, if if you don't. But it's still super cool boss fight and a great way to end that gauntlet. Um, yeah, yeah. Say I'll, I'll say it. I'll do it because I'm coward. I damn near cried. After I beat the main game and went back to play the inner versions. So you have Inner Agent 3. There are two versions of Inner inner Agent 3 when you beat the main uh, Octo Expansion. Mm -hmm. They are terrible. Agent 3 is the most OP boss fight in any game I've ever played. It is literally designed to break your spirit. I don't... I did both first try, so... I took me about 16 tries on Inner Agent 3, the second one. The first one I only I beat in about four tries. He is too OP. He has every weapon set yeah. known to man. It's not fair and it's not fun. <laughs> but what I really appreciate about the Octo expansion is what it sets up. Mm-hmm. After the game is complete, it sets up a world where Inkling and Octoling can live together, which up until this point, they have been portrayed as enemies. And we got a lot of lore about the Octoling in the Octo expansion, which actually makes a lot of sense because you're actually in their realm uh, this time out. So you learn about their history and why they they are the way they are. You learn about uh, the phone. I can't remember the phone's name right C- now. Not C Cucumber. That's, 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 um, yeah, what is his name? Oh my gosh, wait. I am looking him up. CQ80. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
No, wait. No, that's the, the machine. Oh, that's the use. device. Yeah, that's yeah. your actual smartphone. Yeah. What, what is his name? Oh, my gosh. They just call him Telephone. Commander Tartar. Yeah, all right. Tartar, yeah. Tartar. Yeah. So, yeah, Commander Tartar. So, I, I, I want to get into his, like, uh, his backstory a little bit. See if I can actually, uh, I want to pull his stuff up. Backstory. Commander he... Tartar is an a- AI created by a human scientist referred to only as the Professor 12,000 years before the events of Splatoon 2. Its purpose was to pass down all of humanity's knowledge to the next capable species. The Professor's intentions to do so was to prevent the next intelligent species from repeating the same mistakes that led to humanity's extinction. However, due to spending all those years isolated and alone, the AI's thought process ended up going in a different direction. Commander Tartar initially saw hope in the Inklings and Octarians, but eventually became repulsed by their evolution, needless wars, and fashion obsession, ultimately, ultimately concluding that they were unfit for its knowledge and reprogramming itself to create a new form of life that would be worthy of its patronage while annihilating the existing life forms on Earth. The sanitized Octarians are its creations spawned from the biomass it has collected from the remains of its previous test subjects and refined into the perfect life. That is a great backstory. You have the professor who turns out to also be the owner of Judd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who also cloned uh, Lil Judd. Um uh, who gave Judd the the means to clone Lilja, actually. Um, if you ever feel lonely, do this thing to get a buddy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he gave Judd the means to clone himself. This is all really cool. It's It really gave me the lore that I had been craving from Splatoon 2. And it, it makes for a great story point in Splatoon 1. Like, this AI that, like, has been given the task of passing down all of human knowledge, but finds, like, the next, you know intelligent species to be inferior exactly unworthy they they too caught up on what's fresh to to, to for whew, that's so fresh stay fresh guys um no but it's one almost thing like that a I critique think, like, of society in general though like mm-hmm. where society is going it's like it's almost like a nintendo critiquing society as a whole like where are we going you know is this what we're becoming are we becoming like these culture obsessed like people it it, it it has a lot of like deeper meaning to it if you want to like sit there and really analyze it it's it's crazy but i love it uh one thing that i don't like about it is it seems to sort of clash with the lore behind the great turf war mm-hmm. and so like if you go really into like the lore sort of at least not up to the act expansion point but like the first chunk of the lore given the expansion uh it's it's almost it's incredibly scary when you think about how uh you know the great turf war was fought over quite literally turf there was not enough territory for both inklings and octolings right and so they fought over it and once the inklings won they they, they're essentially just nazis like (laughs) they 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 committed genocide on the octolings so that they could not have that territory and, and it was I, I had, like, a whole rant prepared, like, a, a year ago about how Inklings are just Nazis, and I don't remember all of it. But, like, <laughs> the way they just, like, did not allow uh, Octolings to exist and would just um be so so prejudiced and... What's the word? Xenophobic? Um, xenophobic, but also just, like, you treat some... Uh, like, Inkling supremacists. <laughs> That's not the word I'm looking for. But, like... 
um like inkling privilege uh, stuff like that like like they they put octolings in like the the scum scummy caves of the world and didn't let them leave it, it, it's, it's i don't know and they no, just sure, treated like, them they, bad yeah basically they got sent to like concentration camps and, and mm-hmm. were and ghettos and were sent to live there and they were remaining there until dj octavio decided that enough was enough and he was gonna rise up against his squid suppressors mm-hmm. and, and um, he's viewed as the villain of the game he is yeah He's viewed as a villain, but, like, what he wants is, like, for his people Equal to... Equal rights. Yeah, he wants to, to have out. the turf that everyone has. Which, also, so all of a sudden, after the events of the Octo expansion, there is enough room for everyone here. <laughs> Why wasn't there room before? Yeah, like, but you know what? We haven't talked about these two characters, but Pearl and Marina. Uh, Pearl, mm-hmm. she was our first, like, major clue as to the Octo expansion. Like... I remember the moment those characters were revealed, the utter shock that I had to see one of the pop idols of this game actually being an Octoling and, and getting... In Marina. Yeah, Marina. Yeah, Did I say Pearl? Yeah. You said Pearl. Pearl was I... the first clue, and I'm like, wait. No, no, that's... Marina. Yes, Marina. Yeah. Yeah, having Marina be in the game, she's like the first major clue that something is different. Now, ultimately, it come... you find out through the Octo expansion that it's because Pearl is a dip. And she doesn't know that Marina is an octopus. And cool. it's actually kind of funny. And like this and when she finally does learn the truth, she's completely unfazed by it. Well, I think it's uh uh weird that it's not just Pearl. Like the entire population of Angopolis just didn't know, I'd imagine. Well, once you complete the Octo expansion. There is some dialogue when you get back in when you get your next like major news update after you mm-hmm. after you beat it. Pearl starts to say there are a lot of people with these strange new hairstyles, kind of like, like yours. she still doesn't understand. Yeah, she do, like like which is weird because she learns the truth about Marina during the Octo expansion. So I mean I guess that dialogue is for people who don't actually buy the Octo expansion. So they see that dialogue because. The moment you beat the Octo expansion, you could play as an Octoling, and I guess that was their way of like saying, "Hey, people are going to look different now because they are playing as a different character type." Which was, I mean, it was weird dialogue, and ultimately, I think they should have handled that particular dialogue better. But come on, yeah. Chris, fix it before you leave. Ah, he's gone. He's, he already he's already gone. Oh, all right. Yeah, didn't he, even put he, it in his two weeks actually, notice. No, he actually he actually uh, announced his his leaving Nintendo the day after he left Nintendo. Oh. He made he made the announcement a day after, which is well, give us the two weeks notice then. Yeah, I know, right, man? Like, I need more time to grieve over over you leaving the Splatoon franchise. Mm-hmm. No, but what I do like about it is it, it 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 has set up a world where like the Inklings and the Octolings can now live in remote, you know, remotely in peace and harmony, which means. What does that mean for the next game? And also, what does what because the the game's main storyline takes place because of the uh, the final fest in Splatoon One. What does all this mean going forward? Who's going to be the the main villains in a in a Splatoon Three when they decide to work on that? Because now that the Inklings and the Octolings live remotely in peace and harmony together, who is left for them to fight? Well. 
the way I kind of see it, it's only a small minority of Octolings that had heard the Squid Sisters at the Agent 3 battle uh, that got transformed to be now populating Ecopolis. Uh, so there's only a, so maybe liberating the rest of them, uh, potentially going back to the the underground metro uh, of of the Octo expansion and investigating that more. Like, what is the lore behind that facility? That is just a mind blowing like you know what? space I, there. I didn't think about it, but the that salmon, corporation? the salmon and Grizzco, we we never really mm-hmm. miss. Uh, Mr. Grizz seems a little bit more sinister to me than we need that face reveal. Yeah, surprised that didn't happen yeah. throughout the course of the game. Yeah, like Mr. Grizz is getting salmonoids, and then like playable salmon characters, and that could be. Really I don't cool. know. It like, it has potential. Like, oh, could you imagine the weapon types that get added because of salmonoids, like frying pans? No, dude. Oh man, no. But yeah, like going going forward, like I I wonder. And that, you know, they did recently state that they aren't working on Splatoon 3 right now, uh, mm-hmm. which is weird. Uh, let's just get into the Final Fest then, because the Final Fest kind of sets up where the story could potentially go next. So the Final Fest was Order versus Chaos. Uh, mm-hmm. Chaos did win. Uh, Marina represented Team Order. Pearl represented Pearl. Team Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. Uh, and first off, I loved the way Final Fest looked. The white and the gold uh, paint when you yes, played an opposing team. That was awesome. Yeah. Visually great. I love the costumes that Pearl and Marina got for these for this event. Uh, if you took a picture with your amiibo, they were wearing the costumes that they were wearing during the final fest. So I hope you guys got your pictures out of the way. I certainly did. I, every time there's a splash fest, I always take pictures with my amiibo to get them in those costumes. Mm-hmm. Um. So the yeah, but yeah. So the order versus casting. Every single uh station came back which was so much fun there were a lot of like those shifty stations that i really enjoyed like there was the one with the domes that oh down i hate and... that one i love it like it's it's cool but like the fact that you can't touch your masterpiece a minute in the match is lame you know what though i was oh. playing i was playing teams with mario after party mm-hmm. and we had a match where we lost all th- we lost all three zones mm-hmm and we won by 0.2%. 0.2%. Because once me and him realized that we had lost all three zones, we just frantically started painting and killing. All the rest, yeah. Yeah, we're just like, ah! Just paint everything else on the floor. Just go, go, go. And we both came to the realization at the same time because we're playing over the phone. I'm like, paint! And he's like, paint! And we literally just charge forward together and just start shooting all the, you know... <laughs> All the people on Team Order, and we won by point two, and that was a times one hundred battle. Oh, that's gotta feel nice then, yeah. Winning by point zero two on a times one hundred battle was so freaking epic. I sent you the pictures of the. I believe of the so, screenshot. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, dude, we popped off hard. But yeah, I love playing all the shifty stations. But going forward, as far as lore and story are concerned, because those are important things to Splatoon. We now live in a world where Pearl has declared that Article 4 of the Inkopolis bylaws is now in effect, which means whatever the results are of a Splatfest are, are law. law. So, we now live in a world where chaos reigns supreme. What is Inkopolis going to look like in a world of chaos going forward? 
Are we going to have my my general idea of what this is going to be? Inkopolis is going to like look like Mad Max going forward. That's how I envision a world mm-hmm. of chaos. We are going to have a Mad Max Fury Road style look to the game going forward. And that is generally exciting to me. The way I kind of see, because that's, I think, the the world I envisioned first, because that's, I think, the easiest to imagine when you think of order versus chaos, you know, Mad Max dystopia versus the orderful utopia. Um, and that's what I thought of first. But then I'm like, no, I think if we're going to do chaos, it's going to be like an expressive, because this is Splatoon, it's very contemporary, an expressive chaos where it's like, you know, there's a lot more just graffiti everywhere. Um, people, you know, uh, aren't confined to certain, you know, uh, uh, I don't say laws because they should still be confined to some laws, right? But like, uh, uh, you know, they they are allowed to. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Like express themselves. Express themselves, but in ways that maybe would not be uh, uh, condoned otherwise, and. Like to to do things that weren't just allowed before. I'm I'm blanking on ideas. Oh, basically just removing social norms and yeah, basically. Like, but then use it as a form of expression. You know, like a, a city just full of like punks who rebel, but like do it in a creative way instead of a, a burn down buildings kind of way, in a Mad Max kind of way. I would still like to see a Mad Max South Splatoon 2 universe. That could be amazing going forward. Like, just sort of imagine it sort of like the entirety of Inkopolis just looks like the Salmon Run areas, is what I kind of think for that. Well, that could be cool. I don't want that, though. Like, I think it's too bold for Nintendo to do anyways. I think they would want it to be like, okay, well, making Mad Max might be too intense for the kids. I don't know, but like, if you think about it, Splatoon 2's history is really kind of dark it's oh for sure it's a post-apocalyptic world already but it visually doesn't represent that visually it despite being post-apocalyptic it relatively fits in line with like uh going to contemporary japan like Like, especially uh the oh god i'm blanking on the name of the region shibuya it's like going to shibuya in japan it you visually that's how inkopolis looks I would like it to be a little bit more dystopian, a little bit darker. I mean, and because the the lore is already there for it to to be that way, it could could totally work for the game, in my I opinion. I can see the expressiveness still being a bit of a dystopia too, though. Uh, I just think like it's great having you know a darker undertone in the lore for the people that are old enough and understand it and want to understand it, but keeping the game you know well, there's no murder on the streets. Yeah, kids, you know. Yeah, there are some there like, are some themes within Mad Max that don't fly on a Nintendo. Oh, no matter how dark they make the game, it, it can't really like fly. Splatoon hit a nice balance where you know, unless you really are looking into the the actual politics and, and right or wrong morals ethics of the history and lore and apocalypse stuff of Splatoon, you know. Well, not I feel like be... I feel like in a world of chaos though. All the other denizens that we saw that reside within the deep sea metro. Oh, they're coming up. Yeah, they get to live on the outside now. Yeah, for sure. So, a lot more chaos could be like visually represented, mm-hmm. uh, just because now you have you maybe have to deal with the overpopulation argument, and how do, and how do the inklings 
like deal with not being not only the predominant creature in Inkopolis, but maybe like having potentially more dangerous creatures around them on a continual basis. And there are some of those animals that that were under that were in the deep sea metro that looked absolutely terrifying and could mm-hmm. it could probably jack up anything. And of course, maybe the salmonids like take over certain parts of Inkopolis as well. Mm-hmm. That could be actually really interesting. But potentially, as far as story is concerned, in a world of chaos, what happens to the idols? Hmm. We're, like, you could literally do, you could have the story begin with, like, DJ Octavio, like, oh, no, this doesn't fly. I need to conquer this world and become the supreme leader and have him start by taking out all of the idols. Because the idols are the threat, yes. I mean, well, they are, but they shouldn't be. I mean, yes, but remember, it's the music that, like, the music that broke oh, you're right. yeah. the spell. Callie Marie's mm-hmm. music saved uh, a, a contingency. Yes, yes, it yeah. saved a contingency of the of the Octarians. So it, it would be, it would behoove uh, DJ Octavio to mess with the pop idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, going for in a world of chaos, can we finally have some male pop idols? Well, why is that chaotic, though? That shouldn't uh, that, have to be chaotic. It shouldn't have to be, but predominantly all the idols we've had... Yeah. We've had four idols now. They were all female. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are male bands. Yeah, like, the there's plenty Platoon, of bands. But none of them have taken the idol status. And, uh, what if we just get Ink Sync? Oh, God. But, yeah, Ink Sync. Make that Wait. happen, Nintendo. Yeah. Make that happen. I, I, I kind of would like to see a... N Sync. Oh, a Justin Squinderlake. Yes. Yes. Justin Squinderlake. Oh, um, yeah. Okay, make that happen. Okay. All right. Um, but as far as, like, what I want from Splatoon 3, uh, I think with the chaos element as for stage design could be awesome. Oh. Uh, you know, I want to see a lot of the elements that we see in the story mode and in the shifty stations be more predominant in most of the normal stages. You know, we don't get a lot of moving parts or, or tight ropes, tight ropes, uh, inclines, right? Yeah. Rails, I don't know. Uh, trampolines, stuff like those aren't that present in the normal stages, only really shifty stations. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see more of those integrated into the stages. And I think what better theme for making more chaotic stages than chaos? Agreed. Uh, I would like to see the return of weapon of special weapons, especially in a world of chaos, the Kraken is ripe for for a world of chaos. Like I Wait. I miss the invisible invincible specials. Like as as great as I think Splatoon is competitively now, I think one or two broken specials could be a lot of fun uh, going forward. Hear me out on this, pirates. Human pirates or inkling <laughs> inkling pirates, but like. Just, like, like as a theme, that could be awesome. Like, imagine, like, a kind of naval battle or a, or a stage that's, like, two pirate ships, you know, duking it out in a naval battle or something. That, like, could be, that could be a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. Like, pirates, and they're chaotic pirates. Please. Come on. Uh, pirates. <laughs> as, far, as far as modes are concerned, I think they've hit a good balance on modes. Uh I would I, like to see a mode that has a larger focus on kills. 
We don't have that in Splatoon yet. We do not have a mode that focuses on, like, traditional shooting mechanics. I think that's all fine and good, uh, but I think that everyone goes to Splatoon. Like, if I'd get that, I wouldn't have it in ranked or anything, you know? I'd have it as its own separate thing still, because it clashes with what we know ranked to be already. If I were to make a new ranked mode, I'd go sort of bouncing off the Clam uh, clam Blitz vibe, uh, where it's, you know, an actual sport with the, with the football kind of vibe, but I'd go for more of a soccer kind of feel. Okay, um, I can see that. Because... Shoot the ball, like, the, have, we have the eight balls, shoot the ball, move mm-hmm, it into a goal. Kind of like that, but... A little bit Rocket League-esque. Yeah, I'm thinking Rocket League and Lucio Ball from Overwatch, for sure, is that I'm... Uh, Metroid Prime Blast Ball. <laughs> but that's kind of what I'm thinking, and I think... As a vanilla form, like just the eight ball, it's kind of weird. Um, potentially, maybe have the it uh, defy gravity or something. I don't know, but there's got to be a bit more to it. But definitely have a more ball. I want a ball <laughs> that I that I can put into a goal for for yeah. my next platoon mode. But I want those stages that I described. I I now want pirates. I just that was just a brain blast. But I don't want pirates now, and I want uh. What? Soccer mode pirates and crazy stages. Right. Sorry. You know, I would also like to see more expansive DLC going forward. The Octo expansion, I felt, struck a good balance between price versus content. It Uh is a lot of content for a fair price. Granted, it does take the overall cost of the game up to $80. And then if you count Nintendo Switch Online, too, because yeah, that's you're, most you're of rough, the game. Yep, you're roughly at $100 to... If you do a year. Mm-hmm. And that's per year. So if we play this game for three years on, that's 60 bucks again for each year. Yeah. But, yeah, I think they struck a really great balance with the overall price of, of the DLC with the amount of content that actually brought to the game. First off, so many more stages. 80 stages were added. Which is more than the than the amount of stages that were present in the story mode itself. I think the story mode had roughly about forty something stages, so it, it, it damn near doubled the story content. But it it wasn't full levels; they were challenges. Yes, well, mm-hmm. that which was great because of Splatoon One, the amiibos gave you those challenges. Like if you yeah. if you if you scanned your amiibos into Splatoon One, you got challenge modes for certain stages. Mm-hmm. Which, but they were I, exactly the same level. The yes, same they just oh. they had like use this gun instead of mm-hmm. the gun that you were using before, or use a roller here, or you you have limited amounts of ink well, to, they also to progress kinda, through the stage. They also kind of fixed that with the story mode in general, where you can play the story mode with almost any weapon mm-hmm. as long as you have it unlocked. It's true, but yeah, like in Splatoon One, the amiibos functioned as your challenge mode. Which wasn't present in Splatoon 2 until the actual Octo expansion presented you with new and unique challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, man, I think I lost my train of thought here. Sorry. No, it's all Amount good. of content per price with yeah, Octo expansion? Yeah, yeah. The, oh, yes. On top of that, once you've completed the Octo expansion, you unlock the ability to play as a different species. It now, essentially boils down to just a skin mm-hmm. in the game. But people have been requesting playing as Octolings from the moment they debuted. This was something they wanted as Splatoon 1 and, and begged Nintendo to put in an update. And Nintendo didn't give you that. But you got it in Splatoon 2. You got the ability to play as an Octoling by completing the Octo expansion. And since 
that has happened. I have yet to go back to playing as an Inkling. Mm-hmm. I've like, been an Octoling since the transition. I think people paid 20 bucks just to pay to play as an Octoling. And I also think that that's very true, because people just skipped the entire game for the most they part. They did. That was the other thing, just, too. You could skip. You could basically skip it, go back to it later. And I know a lot of people did that. I because there were people playing as an Octoling mm-hmm. within half an hour of the DLC coming out. I was like, oh come on, you that was enjoyable content. Like that was really enjoyable content that you skipped out on. Yeah. And a really good story, a gratifying story once it was complete. Oh, so for yeah. Sure. I think that they should exp- ex- you know, going into Splatoon three they should really have a secondary story mode planned out uh, similar to the Octo expansion because, again, like I said, it's a great amount of content and, and great addition to the story and the lore of Splatoon. It was essentially like a third game within the second game, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, aside from that, I want a more fleshed-out story mode just in general uh, simply because without the Octo expansion you do not get a whole lot of, like, lore. And when you're playing the single-player campaign, yeah, it's essentially a very long tutorial, but it also... It's the it's the history of this world that's built into them, and the second game did not provide that in and of itself. Without the DLC, you miss out on all of that lore. And, again, I really think a lot of the appeal of Splatoon came from its lore. So I want to see more content with DLC, but I also want to, I don't want that, I don't want the main story to suffer because of that. So I want them to have two stories fully developed, ready to go, that expand upon the world. I think another big issue I had with the story, and I think that also sort of pertains to the lore that we were given, uh, is that the story in Splatoon 1 versus Splatoon 2 is essentially the same story, but, like, they've swapped a few characters. So, you know, the great sapfish is once again missing. That's the theme in both stories. You have to defeat the Octarians, specifically DJ Octavio, to, to free the great sapfish. Okay. Um, this very important person who's been guiding you through your mission has been kidnapped, which in the first game is Captain Cuttlefish, and in the second one is uh, 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 Callie. Callie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's really just the same story, but they've swapped around a few characters, which, you know, then, so you're telling the same story twice, you can't retell the same lore again, I think was the issue they sort of came up with. So I think they just kind of come up with a new premise for why does Agent 9 exist now? What is Agent Agent 9's mission? Or even will it be an agent? Because I feel like they're getting a bit high on the agents at this point. Yeah. Um, So, like... Do something different with the story that allows us to explore a different kind of conflict uh, could also be used to introduce that new enemy uh, and give us that lore or something for the future or something, you know? Uh, Definitely rehash that story because it's not going to go far. You can't keep kidnapping Princess Peach over and over and expect to keep expanding a world. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, but that's that's a really good point. I think we should end on that note so let's hit him up well, with these well, uh i, I want to actually end on something else if i, if I can i want you to look back at where we started on launch day splatoon 1 and where we are ending splatoon 2 uh so in launch day splatoon 1 we had total of four stages we had 20 ish guns 
we didn't have ranked mode until like a week or so after That's the true. release. And ranked mode only went to A, A rank. And now we, like, we didn't, we had one mode to start, which was just splat zones. Yeah. We did not have sim run at all. We had very limited weapon classes, I think, for the most part, at the very beginning. It was just the main, like, splatter shots and some variations like, uh, you know, the the gal weapons and the junior, whatever. Maybe the aerospray was, I think, was in it, etc. And you had a couple of chargers and a couple of rollers. Now we have just an absurd range of main weapons, subclasses within those main weapons, sub-weapons, special weapons. Uh, you're given a whole bunch of characters. You've gone from just three starting agents to not to eight, soon to be nine, probably. Uh, we've been given multiple modes. We have not just Turf War, Splat Zones. We have Clan Blitz, Turf, or turf War, <laughs> um, Rainmaker, and Tower Control. Uh, we have Salmon Run. We have Krusty Sean, whatever he does over there. <laughs> um, we have, you know, an active expansion, a story mode. Uh, and just how many stages plus the shifty stations? Um, like, absurd amount? <laughs> too many? I think we're yeah, close to, too like, many. 30. Uh-huh. Like, how much we've grown. Like, Splatoon 1 was bare bones at, at launch day. And it's... It's wild to see where we are now. I'd say we almost have too much content, which is never a bad thing. But the amount of content we got in Splatoon is phenomenal. It's incredible. It's I'm in love with what they've done with this game. And I want to see where they go in the future. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is what game will be that sort of free update game now? Uh, since I think Mario Tennis Aces is done with their updates i think are 24 stages by the way 24 thank you including uh including a base version of shifty if you include all the versions of shifty which i believe there are 24 yeah. separate versions of shifty because it's once that's... a month for two years 24 mm -hmm. yeah plus 48 yeah so total 48 stages that's crazy yeah I... so <laughs> But, so many stages. Uh-huh. And, you know, you have... I went... Uh, you know, we started with only up to A rank once we got ranked mode. We have X rank now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, S, S. S got S got added in Splatoon 1, and then, and then X got S added plus. in Splatoon 2. And then, well, they added S plus, too, didn't they? Uh, I believe so, yeah. In, in Splatoon 2, it went to S plus, and then you finally got rank X. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, from start to finish, if you can... Like, going from Splatoon 1 to Splatoon 2, these are, like... It's amazing that people at one point said that this wasn't a, a real sequel. Mm -hmm. well, at the at the beginning, it was actually kind of in the same state where it's just like, it's the same as it was in Splatoon 1, but the Salmon Run. Because it kind of was. But then, at the end of its life cycle, it truly is a sequel. Yeah, it it, re it runs into, it get, like I said in the beginning, when we started this, mm -hmm. it becomes an evergreen title. One, now sure. that it's complete, there is more value to this game now that it's this development cycle is complete, then then just the you could combine the first two parts of the game like Splatoon one and the early parts of Splatoon like a complete Splatoon one and the early going of Splatoon two, and there is so much additional content that's been added after the fact. This game has gone beyond the scope of a traditional sequel. For sure. So I mean, yeah, I mean going like. It has, it has definitely been a worthy successor. Actually, we're kind of ending on the same note that I want to end on. Like, 
was this a worthy successor to the original game? And has it done enough to stand out from the original game? Woo, that was thunder. <laughs> Stormy down there. Original Splatoon. In my opinion, yeah, wholeheartedly, yes. It, it cannot even be argued that this game isn't a worthy successor and what it's done for the franchise it, it gives Splatoon the ability to grow to the point where they can where Inklings can become a Mario style character. One that is beloved by the populace. One and a, and a, and it builds this franchise in the best ways possible. We can move forward with this franchise knowing that it's in A in good hands and B that they can develop this game these these future games in a way that really pays homage to what we've seen before. Not just from Nintendo, but from this franchise. I cannot wait to see what Splatoon 3 will eventually be. Now, I hope we get it sooner rather than later, but we do know that they aren't actively developing on it because the lead producer is currently working on Animal Crossing. Uh, whatever Animal Crossing it is. I think it'd be really cool, and I've been seeing this for a while, uh, to see spinoffs like... Uh, a Splatoon RPG or a party game or potentially just a sports game. This is like actual just soccer with Inklings, Inkling players. I don't know. It's like you can do so much with these malleable characters, and I want them to do it. You know, Inkling platformers. Give us just a collection of those mini games you could play in the Wii U uh, back in the first one. You know, give us a rhythm game with the idols. There's so much you can do. Uh, agreed. I 100% agree with you, man. Like, there is a lot. These are malleable characters, especially the idols. I feel like mm -hmm. you can get a lot of, like, uh, you could do a lot with the idols that you couldn't do with other games. Like, you could give the idols their own style. Like, could you imagine, like, a rhythm-based game featuring, like, Callie, Marie, Marina, and Pearl? Like, I could mm -hmm. totally see them doing, like, a bunch of, like, these spin-off style games simply just using the idol characters because mm -hmm. they're, they're not as explored as as I feel like they should be. Mm -hmm. And you even have, like, the background bands that you don't ever see, really, that you could do stuff with, too. Exactly. Oh, man, there would be a whole... Dude, a rhythm-based Splatoon game would be like, freaking amazing. But they already have Squid Beats. Yeah, but, like, more like a like a Dance Dance Revolution-style game where, like, you have a floor mat again using but, like, Squid Sisters. they have that in, in the game. Like, there's a... Hey, Dance Dance Revolution machine in the game. Yeah, and I, I want, want them to release to a game pad that I can. Like, I want them to release a game pad that I can dance on with that. Oh, I would yeah, totally do that. That's what I'm saying. But like, just pull it right from the game, so we get the game within the game there. Exactly. Oh, but yeah, guys. With that said, we are going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. This has been a little bit of a long one, but it's a postmortem, like. I want to give this game its due because it definitely deserves it. Splatoon has been a game that I've found great enjoyment in, uh, as I did with the first game. Now, granted, I haven't put as many hours into Splatoon 2 that I put into Splatoon 1, but we were in a different world back then where there wasn't any content on the Wii U, and we have an overabundance of content on the Nintendo Switch, which means my attention has been pulled away from Splatoon. But it's definitely a game that I'm not going to I'm never going to put this game down completely. I'll always come back to it because we've gotten to that evergreen status with this game where we can play this game at the drop of a dime. It's it's an easy pick-up-and-play game, and it's just an overall lot of fun. And one of these days, I'm going to jump back into the Octo Expansion as well because it is a whole lot of content to explore. 
Just because Splatfests are over doesn't mean this game is dead. It is still a fantastic game to pick up now and just play online. Get some matches. It's a lot of fun. Exactly. Don't be turned off just because Splatfests are over. I'm selling my Switch. No, it's still <laughs> a great game. You can keep playing it just because Splatfests are over. Exactly. There's a lot of but, content here for you to enjoy. <laughs> but with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. But before we let you go, we got to hit you with the social media links. You can hit me up on Twitter at Nice1983. You can email me at Nice1983 at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. If you are a fan of the Nintendo Power Zone podcast, you can always download new episodes on iTunes, Google Play Music, stream new episodes on Spotify and Stitcher Radio. But if you want to watch the video version of the show, you can catch us right here on YouTube, youtube.com slash Nintendo Power Zone blues go ahead and hit him up all right it is always the king blues um on twitter youtube uh, uh twitch etc um blues is always spelled b-l-o-o-z all right and with that we're gonna go ahead and get out of your hair but remember guys stay, stay fresh, fresh.